Open your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. It's been so fun working through this. And uh, I want to kind of give you all kind of an update about my schedule, what's going on. So after the morning service, I'm going to take off pretty quick. I'm driving to uh, New York City. I'll be with our church planter, Mike Newberger, in Brooklyn uh, Monday and Tuesday. And I'll get to see our missionary, Sam Thomas. He's staying there at the missions apartment at the church there in Brooklyn. So I'm excited to be able to spend some time with him. But I'll be there with the church planter in Brooklyn on Monday and Tuesday. Then Wednesday, I'll drive to Connecticut, Ansonia, Connecticut, River Valley Baptist Church. And we're training them in discipleship. So that church wants to do one-on-one discipleship. So we have taken all of our discipleship training, all of our materials. We put their name on all of it. And so I'll be taking that there. So that's Wednesday through Friday. Then Saturday, I'll drive to Buckley Road Baptist Church in Liverpool, New York. Now, that's the church my father started 50 years ago. They're celebrating their 50th anniversary. And the pastor that's there, his name's Dan Smith, his 40th anniversary as pastor of that church. And they're turning it over to the new pastor. So I get to be there for that, and I'm excited. My brother is driving out, and he'll be there with me at Buckley Road. And he's not been back there since we were children. So it's, it's really fun. The, the pastor there, the new pastor, lives in the house that we lived in. So we're, we're going to get a tour of the house. And just, so just as children, that's the house that we lived in. So it's going to be so fun to go through that. So I'll be preaching there on Sunday, driving home on Monday, that, so next Monday. And uh, then on Tuesday, Young Americans for Liberty, and that's an organization that Caleb Spicer works with at Ohio State University, is hosting me. I'm going to be speaking on a biblical response to socialism on the campus of Ohio State. So that is going to be a blast. I can't wait I'm so excited to do it. Any of you that want to come, you can come. So it is Tuesday the 19th at 7 o'clock. And if you need any information on that, we have a flyer that's been made up for that. And that will be on our website. Where's Tyler at? Tyler. Tyler, let's make sure that that. So uh, I'll I'll email you the uh, thing. Let's get it on our website. Um, So then really be in prayer for that. It's going to be obviously a super busy week. And thank you all for praying for this fall. Obviously, my travel schedule has been intense, but this is the last trip. This is the last meeting. Now, it's not really the last trip because y'all are sending me to the Bears game. I just wish they were winning. It's so sad. But anyway, I digress. Um, So really be in prayer for these meetings. So these three things that we're trying to actually four things over the next uh, two weeks. I really need you to pray for me. A lot of study. A lot of work, a lot of things, so really be in prayer for it. And I'm just so thankful that we have a church that sees the need outside of these walls. Oh, I forgot to tell you, next Sunday, Dave Thomason is preaching for us. He's the pastor of Troy Baptist Temple, and I want you all to meet him. He's, he's a great preacher, and here's what's fun. He and I graduated together. We went to school together, and he ended up in Troy. I'm here in Sydney And so he's going to come and preach for us. And what I love, some of you all will really appreciate this. He's really country. He's from South Carolina. Dalton would say he's as country as a butter bean sandwich. So uh, you're going to enjoy Brother Thomason. He's going to be here for Sunday school, Sunday morning, and Sunday night. So that's going to happen next week. And then Wednesday night, uh, Patrick is handling the Bible study for us. So, all right, let's have a word of prayer and dive in. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for just the opportunities 
that you give Grace Baptist to influence around the world. And Lord, I'm so thankful for all that you're doing. Lord, I pray right now, as we settle down, we focus on your word, we learn some things from the book of Zechariah, that, that we are edified by your word, that our knowledge of your word grows, but also there are some things that will help us in this next week as we try to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Zechariah chapter 6, I'm sorry, chapter 12, look at verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Now, we had fun with that uh, the week before last, looking at creation and how God identifies himself as the creator. Verse 2, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about. I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to all the people round about when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness, and I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts their God. In that day will I make the governors of Judah like an hearth of fire among the wood and like a torch of fire in a sheath. And they shall devour all the people round about on the right hand and on the left. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them in that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as uh, God, as the angel of the Lord before them. Now, this is such an amazing passage of Scripture, and I want to take some time. Let's do a little bit of a review about Zechariah. Let's look at a definition of prophecy. Prophecy is God writing history before it happens. God writing history before it happens. Uh, let's look at an example of this. Go to Isaiah chapter 53. And of course, always keep Zechariah because Lord willing, we'll be back. Isaiah chapter 53. Look at verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, had God laid the iniquity of us all on Jesus at that point? No. But the Bible is writing it as if it already happened. You see, prophecy is God writing history before it happens. When God prophesies something, you can just write it down as history. It is as if it has already happened. That's how sure prophecy is. So God writing history before it happens. Um, the book is divided into visions and burdens. The book of uh, Zechariah, it's divided into visions and burdens. And we looked at the visions. All of the visions came in one night. And the 
first burden is chapters 9 through 11, and that's a burden on Israel. And so that's talking about the tribulation period and all the struggle that's going to come. The second burden we just looked at in chapter 12 and verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord. Now notice what it says, for Israel, not against Israel, for Israel. Israel is now, according to verse 3, and in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone. So now they are going to be a burden against the people that have come against them. Now, chapters 9 through 11 deal primarily with Christ's first coming. Remember that we have the triumphal entry. We have all of those things that we looked at. And then chapters 12 through 14 deal primarily with Christ's second coming to rule the earth. All right? To rule the earth. Now, I know that this is all so exciting. Trust me. State, state, I love it. Some of you just said, it is. Others of you are. I promise there's going to be some practical stuff that we're going to get to. But all of this, if you all will get this understanding of Bible prophecy and of the way that God has ordered the world, we just understand every part of our Bible so much better. So chapters 12 through 14, some of the most amazing prophecies in Scripture, they deal primarily with Christ's second coming to rule on the earth. All of it's amazing. And these chapters, what's interesting is, even though it's a more detailed information, these chapters cover the same time periods as the first six chapters, the visions. So the burdens cover the same time period as the visions. They're just reiterating it and giving us more information. All right? So this book covers the time from Zechariah's time to the establishment of the kingdom in Israel. So look at Acts chapter 1. Remember that the disciples, as they were walking the earth, were preaching about the kingdom that Jesus Christ is going to come back to earth to establish. That's what, he was pre that's what they were preaching. And so that's why after the resurrection of Christ, the disciples asked this question. Look at verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So that's what the disciples had been preaching. What they didn't really understand was when Jesus ascended into heaven, now we're going to have the church age. This is the, the time period that you and I live in. The churches are established. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell people. The gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection is preached around the globe until ultimately the fullness of the Gentiles become in. That's when the last of the Gentiles get saved, and then Jesus raptures all of those saved people. He takes them off of the earth, takes them into heaven with him, and then he begins judging the earth and doing everything he can to get his people, the Jews, to turn back to him. That is what's covered in the book of Zechariah. It's amazing. From Zechariah's time to the establishment of the kingdom in Israel. Now, when you look at what it says, look in chapter... So go back to Zechariah and look at chapter 14. And when you get to chapter 14, look up here. So what I want you to remember is, remember, for us, a narrative, it starts at one point and we just go straight through to the end. That's the way that our mind works. But in Jewish literature, it's different. It starts at a point and it comes forward and then it loops back on itself and covers that same information. A little bit forward, then it loops back on itself. The perfect illustration of Genesis 1, you have creation. Genesis 2, you have creation. 
Genesis 1, you get some information. Genesis 2, you have the same account with more information. It's that coming forward and looping back on itself. That's what's happening in chapter 12 and then again in chapter 14. So look at chapter 14 and verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Now, for those of you who are regulars at Grace Baptist Church, you know this, but I have to say it again because we always have new people. Anytime you see that phrase, the day of the Lord in your Bible, it's pointing to the time when Jesus Christ returns. And Jesus Christ's return, it begins with the rapture and it goes, continues into the kingdom. So when it says the day of the Lord, it can be the rapture or it can be the day that Jesus Christ returns to the earth. And the only way you know which one it is is by the context. It'll explain to you which one it is. We know obviously this one is the day that Jesus Christ returns to the earth And we'll see that. Look at what it says. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Look at verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Verse 4. And his feet shall stand that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem. So that day, this is when Jesus Christ comes to the earth. How many of you can see that that's very clear? But I want you to notice something. This coalition, verse 2, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Most commentaries, and you hear me say this stuff, and most of you never read a commentary, and for the most part, that's probably good, because they're almost all wrong. Most commentaries try to place this event in the past, as if this is describing something, maybe the Maccabean revolt that takes place in between the, the the testaments and the, these they try and make it something like that that has happened in the past this is an important statement right here many teachers try to place this event in the past but this is from a guy named charles feinberg his commentary on the minor prophets he said this no such coalition of nations against israel has ever occurred in the past it's never happened and so this is where it's so important do you remember our principle of full mention and then our principle of measured words, these, these principles that help us to study the Bible. The principle of full mention is that for every doctrine in the Bible, there will be a passage that completely explains what that means. Really important. Things like eternal security. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have temporary life. No, what's it say? Everlasting life. Is that a complete statement? You can't misunderstand it. It's so simple that all of our children know it. Full mention. But that that principle of measured words, that is God had a limited number of words to use. Remember what John said. That if, if all the things that Jesus did were written, then I suppose that the books of the world could not contain them. So God chose a limited number of words. So when the Bible describes something, the words that he uses are very important. Secondly, the precision of the Bible. When, when the Bible says all nations shall be gathered together, what do you think that means? That means all nations. So what happens when you have people who look at the scriptures and they, they take what's called the allegorical approach to scriptures. They don't believe every word. They don't believe every word of the Bible. Well, then, of course, they can change it. Well, it doesn't really mean all nations. It means, the, you know, those two nations that came. How many of you think there's a difference between all and two? How many of you know that the word two was available to God? 
Okay, so you can't take that. So it's not when Rome destroyed Jerusalem. How many nations is Rome? Really tough question. How many nations is Rome? These girls looked confused. This many. Come on, that was there's, there's the smile. All right, good. So it's really important that we understand that when the Bible says that all nations shall gather, there's never been that coalition. It's never existed, and yet God says it's going to happen. And if God says it's going to happen, it is going to happen. Amen? So Zechariah 12 deals with the events immediately before Jesus' return to rule the earth. Now, what is the goal of these nations? It's the final destruction of God's people. The, the world hates Israel. And we have gotten to the place right now, and of course, it, it could be another 500 years before Christ returns. We don't know when he's going to return. But so much of what the Bible says, you can see it around us happening. You know, there, there are places in London, London, England, where they tell Jews, don't, don't wear your kippah or your yarmulke. Don't, don't wear that because you'll be killed. Places in Germany, don't wear it. Places in France, don't wear it. That's ridiculous, folks. That is ridiculous. And can I say this? It's not white supremacists killing them. There's like three white supremacists in the world. It's Muslims. And all of that stuff is happening. And what's going to happen is it's going to get worse and worse for the Jewish people in the world. And they're going to be driven to Israel so that God can deal with them. And all of these nations are going to be coming against Israel and the Jewish people because the world hates the Jewish people. We don't. We love them. Amen. We love them. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They are God's people. And that's why it's really important that we understand they're God's people. So all of these nations, all of these groups that are going to try to come against God's people, the thing that we need to remember is they are still God's people. And never forget, we're not going to turn to these passages yet. Go to Zechariah chapter 2 and look at verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations. Now, remember, you ought to mark that word glory every time you see it. When Jesus Christ returns in his glory, all right, after the glory, is after a time word? Helps us understand. After the glory hath he sent me unto who? The nations which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. They are still God's people. They are still God's people. And Jesus Christ is going to come back and take care of it. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things. Look at uh, Zechariah chapter 12. And look at verse 3 or verse 2. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. If you didn't get a chance to listen to my message from the Sunday night before last, and we looked at that. And that cup of trembling, God has told Israel they have to drink that cup. But when Jesus Christ returns, he's coming back with a cup of fury, the Bible says. And the world is going to be made to drink this cup of fury. But remember when Jesus Christ was going to the cross? And he, he, John comes to him. 
and wants to do what Jesus Christ is doing. And he said, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And then in the garden, he said, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. What was that cup? That was the cup of fury. That cup of God's wrath and fury that Jesus Christ drank on the cross, that fury that was put on him. Please don't miss this. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he endured the penalty, the pain, the suffering, the judgment of everyone who has ever lived and everyone who ever will live. And remember, how long do we deserve to be in hell? Forever. So what Jesus bore, that cup that Jesus drank, was the cup of fury for every individual forever. So when you think of the wrath that's poured on this earth, that wrath that's poured on this earth, Jesus already drank it. Those who endure it, endure it because of their choice. Jesus drank it for us. He took my penalty. He took my judgment. He took my punishment. I don't have to endure that. He did it for me already. So when you see that cup of trembling, remember Jesus already drank it. It's all, listen, it's all foolishness. It's people taking a punishment that has already been taken for them. Look at the next verse. I want you to see he delivers them in verse 4, but look at verse 5. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. It has gotten so bad in the tribulation, and we've looked at that. It has been so horrible in the world that now when Jesus returns, the only thing that people can say is, my strength is in the Lord. Go to the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. Right before Job. Ezra and Nehemiah. Look at Nehemiah chapter 8. And look at verse 10. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry. Look at this. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I want you to think about something. When God comes back to deliver the nation of Israel, the world has been destroyed. There's no food. The sun, the moon, the stars, the, the, the very day has been shortened by a third. All the green grass has been burned up. A third of the trees have been burned up. Water has turned to blood. Half the population of the world is dead, and the rest is dying. And then Jesus comes. Do you think maybe that joy is going to give people strength? Look at Philippians chapter 4. I just mentioned that Jesus Christ drank our cup of fury. Look at Philippians chapter 4. I know you know this verse. Philippians chapter 4, 
Look at verse 13. You know, verse 12 is so good. How about verse 11? Not that I speak in respect of want. So Philippians 4 and verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Let me just just digress for a second. Have you learned that? Are you content right now in the state that you're in? If nothing ever changed in your life, have you learned to be content? Now, I've got to tell you, that's something that I struggle with greatly. I'm not a content person. I'm always looking for the next thing, the next opportunity, the next. Are we, have we learned contentment? Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Look at verse 12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. And it's interesting for us, most of us in the United States, you know, I, I can't tell you the last time I was really hungry. I get mad because I'm not hungry enough to eat because I enjoy eating. It's interesting. I, I need to eat a smaller meal so I can enjoy the next meal more. I don't really know what it's like to be hungry. As a child, I did, but now I don't, you know, obviously. <laughs> can you see me? obviously i've won the battle against anorexia right and so it's really important that we understand that for us we know how to be full most of us don't really know how to be hungry here's when we find that need when it's a physical problem a health problem when it's a job problem when it's a relationship problem. That's when we experience, that's when we really understand how much we need God. Because honestly, most people never even think about God and they're doing just fine, right? Until the health trouble comes, until the relationship comes, until the financial trouble comes. Then look at what the Bible says. Verse 12, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. And then he says this, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Here's what Israel understands. Not now, but that day that Jesus Christ returns and he starts in Judah and then he goes into Jerusalem and there's a whole lot of reason for that that we might not get to today. But here's what Jerusalem understands. They didn't do it themselves. They couldn't save themselves. They couldn't help that. They couldn't help that. And many of us have been delivered by God from horrible situations where God has stepped in and done something amazing for us. But even after he does that, we can get to the place where we say, my strength is weak. Sometimes the time after the victory is harder than the battle. That's remember Alexander the Great, 28 years old. He's laying on his bed about to die and he's crying because there's no worlds left to conquer. That's us. That's human nature. And so what God does is he gives us a great victory. And then after that victory, how many of you guys delivered you from something before? God's helped you. And after that, all of a sudden, well, that adrenaline's gone. That emotion is gone. That fight is over. And we can fall into this place of despair, the like, like, 
John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress that is at the slough of despond. You, you fall into that. And what God wants to do is he wants you to know that when you're full and when you're empty, he's your strength. He's your strength. Israel will finally understand that when Jesus Christ comes and delivers them from the nations. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, verse 10, Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong, where? In the Lord and in the power of his might. You see, the children of Israel, they need to understand. And this is, remember the passage, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. It's where it always has to start. The Jews, the, the, as a nation, they're, they're full of pride. They need to humble themselves and acknowledge their Messiah for us, we're so full of pride. We think we've got it. Then when trouble comes, we say, where's God? We've got to humble ourselves, humble ourselves and realize that we have no strength, that our strength is from him. When it happens, who should we thank? When God does deliver us, who should we thank? Malachi 3.6, I have it on the screen for you. I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. How about that? Lydia's here today. Hallelujah. I love seeing her little face. And imagine if I said, Lydia, I love you. You're my child. And because I love you, I've not killed you. Because there were times. What was it? I think I heard Carol say it. I brought you into this world. I could take you out. So interesting. What does he tell Israel? I'm the Lord. I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Be, listen to the point. His mercy endures forever. As bad as Israel gets, God doesn't change. The reason they're not consumed is because he doesn't change. When we come through something and God delivers us, what, who are we supposed to thank? Well, God, you made me strong. That's still yourself. Man, I'm glad God made me the way I am so that I can take this. No. No. God, I'm nothing. You did this. Thank you for allowing me to live. Thank you for giving me grace. I walk around our house. You know, we, we got that new house a couple of years ago, and we, we just walk around and say, I can't believe I get to live here. Yeah, I open up, Laura stocks the cabinets, you know. It's, if the apocalypse comes, we're okay. We have enough toilet paper. You go to the cabinet, and grab a box of Kleenex, and there's 30 boxes of Kleenex or whatever, and pull it down. Thank you, God. Because I remember as a kid times when there wasn't even any of that kind of stuff around. And just say, thank you for every little thing. Thank you. Get a drink of water. God, thank you that we have water. Thank you. See, we are so full. We're so blessed. When the nation of Israel is judged during that period of time that Zechariah 12 and 14 is talking about, there isn't any good water. There's no good food. It's horrible. It's horrible. And they realize right here, I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are consumed. My goodness. Then look at verse 6. Pretty interesting. Go, go back with me to Zechariah 12 and look at verse 6. This is fun. In that day 
Will I make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood and like a torch of fire in a sheaf? And they shall devour all the people round about on the right hand and on the left. Now stop right here for a second. Here's what's happening. So imagine if you went to one of the silos around here and it's the, the harvest has happened. The grain's been in the silo for a while. How many of you think it's a bad idea to put fire in there? Any of you farmers? Chad, have you ever had to fight a silo fire? One of the most dangerous things in the world, isn't it? It's crazy. It's cra- That's what Jerusalem is going to be. All those people come around them and those governors of Judah, they're going to be like a fire in the middle of that. But here's what I want you to see. Look at what it says at the end of the verse. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again. Look, in her own place, even in Jerusalem. So do you know what this is? This is the Jewish John 14 too. Remember what Jesus said? I go to prepare a place for you. That's a real place that Jesus has prepared for us in heaven. Isn't that awesome? I preach that at funerals. Why? Because it's real. Heaven is real. It's a real place. We get to go to a real place. Our friend Joby went home to be with the Lord this last week. She's in a real place with Jimmy in a real place. Praise God for that. That's our hope. But this is the John 14, 2 for the Jewish people. Jerusalem is a real place that will be inhabited by a real people. And Jesus Christ is the one who's going to do it for them. Praise God for that. It's not for the Gentiles. It's for the Jews. Look at verse 7. I want you to see something. The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not magnify themselves against Judah. Look at this order. Yeah, we can do it. Look at Jeremiah 23. So Judah first, then Jerusalem. I want you to see the consistency of Scripture. Go to Jeremiah chapter 23. Look at verse 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David's unto David a righteous branch. Now, of course, you know that's a title for Jesus. And a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice. Where? In the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. Isn't that awesome? So here's what happens. Judah is saved first and then Israel. That's the order of scripture. Look at Jeremiah 33. These aren't throwaway lines. I I, I can't do it today, but that Judah first and then Jerusalem, that's talking about how Jesus Christ, the the, the path that Jesus is going to take when he returns. So the next time we're together, it's Thanksgiving. And I'll do something else. But then, after that, I can't wait to show you all of that. Okay, so Jeremiah 33 and verse 16. Look at verse 15. In those days, now what do we look for when we see in those days? What are we supposed to look for? The tribulation. Okay, now I'm going to start over. When you see in those days, what are you supposed to look for? The tribulation. In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. Verse 16. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely, and this is the name wherewith she shall be called the Lord 
our righteousness. So that order that God gives from Judah to Jerusalem, it's really important. All right, so now what do we learn from this? Go back to Zechariah 12. What do we learn? First of all, God has a plan, and it includes Jerusalem. So when you see all this stuff going on, how how awesome is it that our president moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem? God has a plan for Jerusalem. It's vital that our, our leaders understand that, and we need to understand it. God is not done with Israel. So God has a plan, and it includes Jerusalem, and it includes his people. Now, I promise I'm going to be done by 1130, okay? But you have to get this. So there is an independent Baptist preacher. He's on YouTube. His name's Stephen Anderson. And the only thing I can say is he's an idiot. And what he is doing, and what happens is when people Google independent Baptist preachers or King James Bible preaching preachers, Stephen Anderson's one of the first guys that comes up. And I'm just telling you, he is, he's a moron. And he believes in replacement theology that the church replaced Israel. He doesn't believe that there are any real Jews anymore, that they're done, that they're gone. He doesn't believe that. He's not even allowed in Israel. They won't let him in. He's such an anti-Semite. And it's so so interesting to me. This happens every time. Every time someone practices replacement theology. Now, don't forget, replacement theology is the teaching that because the Jews rejected Jesus and, and crucified Christ, that now all of the promises that God made to Israel, those have been transferred to the church. So you go to the Old Testament and you look at a promise that God made for Israel and they apply that to the church. Well, we know that that's wrong. Let's look at what Jesus said about it. Look at Genesis, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 2. Um, I know sometimes people think, Pastor, you shouldn't talk about a preacher that way. You shouldn't use that language. Okay, I'll use Bible language. He's an ass. He's a dog. He's a viper. Is that more gentle? Look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know, look at this next word. I know the what? Blasphemy of of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Any teacher that teaches that the church has replaced Israel, that's saying that we're Jews. We're not. We're not. That's the synagogue of Satan. That's what God thinks about that. That's Jesus speaking right there. That's the synagogue of Satan. So we need to understand that God has a plan and it includes Jerusalem and it includes his people. And it's very important for us. And I I know I say that a lot because it is very important that we understand this, that whenever I've never seen it happen, whenever you have a group that practices replacement theology, they don't just say the Jews aren't really the Jews. That'd be bad enough. Now they speak against the Jews and they begin attacking the Jews and they become anti-Semitic. They become anti-Jewish. Do you see the difference? So we disagree with Roman Catholicism. Would you all agree with that? We don't hate the Catholics. I don't want anything bad to happen to them. I want them to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. You all see what I'm saying? Just because we disagree. I disagree with Lutheran theology. I don't hate Lutherans. Or as Laura would say, Lutherans. It's really important, folks, it's really important that we get 
that that doctrines like replacement theology, I'm looking at the screen back here, so that's what I'm pointing at, that doctrines like replacement theology, they undermine what the Bible says about Jerusalem and his people. Man, and it ends up into a really bad place where they want to kill. And I'm not saying Stephen Anderson wants to kill them, but he is very much anti-Semitic. And you need to understand that is not us. So God has a plan for Jerusalem, his people, and the nations, and that will take place. So what do we learn about strength from this? First of all, strength comes from the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Look at Zechariah chapter 12, verse 5. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. So strength comes from the Lord. When you are delivered, that strength came from the Lord. When you're not delivered, your strength comes from the Lord. We have to get that. Don't miss it. Those aren't throwaway lines. But I love this. That strength will be there when we need it. When does God give them the strength? When they're at the end. For you, I promise you, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you will be able to bear it. That's what the Bible says. He will be your strength in the trouble. It comes from the Lord, and it'll be there when we need it. And then it will not be something you can brag about because it came from God. Look, look at what it says. Verse 5, and the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength. They, they can't brag on themselves. When God delivers you, uh, I heard Ravi Zacharias say this. Um, when the, the, he was on a plane and the, uh, the, 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 the pilot did an amazing job landing the plane in an emergency situation. And people were really thanking the pilot. He was on a flight another time when the landing gear wouldn't come down. And he said, a pilot told him, when your, gear can't come when your gear doesn't come down, your time is up. Because those planes, you're not going to land one of those on their belly. It's just not a good thing. And so they just started praying. And right before the plane hit the ground, the gear came down. He said, who do you thank then? It's interesting, isn't it? See, you can't brag about something because it came from God. When it's genuine deliverance, it comes from him. Then look at verse 8. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I love this right here. And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. Think about this. The feeble shall be as David. He'll make you stronger than you ever imagined. How many of you would not be very excited about meeting a lion? David jumped right in. He jumped. How about a bear? He ain't scared. Remember, Saul's killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Can you imagine wading into an army of 10,000 people and you're standing there in the middle of it with your sword and you get done and there's piles of people around you and you're saying, I need some water. That's David. That's not you and me, folks. There's probably nobody you've ever met like David. And what does God say? He makes the feeble. Who are the feeble? These people are so weak they can hardly stand up. No good food. No good water. They're about to die. And he makes them like David. See, when Jesus comes in, when Jesus delivers you, listen, he'll make you stronger than you ever imagined. Some of you right now, you might be in the middle of something and you're saying, I can't make it. 
I can't do this. You're right, but Jesus can. He'll make you stronger than you ever dreamed, than you ever imagined. Deliverance, it leads to thankfulness. Deliverance, it leads to thankfulness. Look at what it says. Verse 8 again, In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. And what do they do? They magnify themselves against Judah. He magnifies them. It's, it's just amazing what God does. Deliverance leads to thankfulness. But it is interesting. Sometimes deliverance leads to despair because the battle's over. What's the answer to that? Thankfulness. Thankfulness. God, thank you. Even in your weakness, thank you. Thank you. Deliverance. Jerusalem, a cup of trembling. Lord, thank you so much for your word, the opportunity to preach it. Lord, I know that there are people in our church right now that are in a battle.